So if you've been doing this any time at all, you often know that the atmosphere of the room kind of precedes the word that God has given you. And this morning, help me first of all, welcome Athens. Tell Athens good morning. All the pastoral team there, we love you guys so much. This message today is a different kind of message, I'll just tell you. And I was going to preach something completely different till about 5 o'clock this morning. And uh, this is actually something that's been in my heart for some time. I've, I've often said to the Lord, how do you preach this message? Or is this a message to preach? Are you just talking to me for something I need to say to other people, for ministers in another context? And I don't know, I, I just felt like the Lord said to me, this is the word of the Lord for the day. And I want to preach today about the ministry. I want to preach today about the ministry, but I want to preach today an encouraging warning to anyone in this room and anyone listening to me online or by television this morning who feels called into the ministry. I want to preach today about the monster of ministry. And this is a different kind of word today, and, and I felt celebration as we were baptizing. In fact, Gary and I, we were trying to do all we could to survive up there. Uh, we had people coming out, arms flailing. I got elbowed. It was incredible. It was unbelievable. And, and how many can help me celebrate 38 people getting baptized? Come on. It's amazing. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And I, I, this is not a sermonic message today. I, I probably, Julian is my guy. We go all over the world together and preach. I don't even know if I'm going to need Julian this morning to preach this message. This is, this is a message that is in, intended to encourage but also to warn. And, and as you process things in life, 20 years of, almost 20 years of being your pastor, and the last two years have been the most unique years I've ever seen, I want to talk to people who call, feel called to preach today, people who feel called into the ministry today. Maybe you don't need this today. Maybe you need this in your future. Maybe you don't need this at all. If you're not called to preach, you say, Pastor, why would I listen to this message? Because my prayer is you'll come out of this praying for your leaders more than you've ever prayed for them before. Because I want to tell you today that as the leaders of the church go, so goes the church. And you can say, well, but, but, but Jesus, and I will agree with you, Jesus is the victorious one. But Paul, saw, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm concerned today that there are a lot of people who are walking after with a title of leader, but the leader doesn't know where he's going. And the Bible is clear that the blind lead the blind is a problem. And today my heart is just, I, I don't want to say it's heavy, but my heart is full of awareness. I'm sober in the moment that I'm standing in as a leader in the kingdom of God. And I do want this house to be more intentional not just in praying for me and Devin, but in praying for our pastors, pastors in our city. We're living in a time where we need all hands on deck spiritually. Can you say amen? I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Can I tell you how this came to me? You don't care, but I think it's, all, I think it's just neat how God works. I was about to preach this morning out of 1 Corinthians 10, just to tell you, I was going to preach from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through about 15, about the people of God, how they went through the Red Sea, followed the cloud, and the Bible said, still with many of them, God was not pleased. I just didn't have peace. I had the message all laid out. I said, God, I don't have peace about this. And he said, you're very close to the word of the Lord, but you're not there yet. What does that mean? It means you're one verse away. So I said, Lord, what, tell me what I'm missing, and I just, as I do, I go back and read the context before what I'm going to preach and after what I'm going to preach to make sure I'm in the context of the message. And as I was reading 1 Corinthians 9, I'd read it several weeks ago. It spoke to me in a real clear way. 
And then as I read it this morning again, God said, that's what I want you to say on the day they're going to honor you. I want you to preach about ministry. So this is that word. And I want to preach about the monster of ministry just for a few minutes this morning. And then Devin and I are going to go eat pastor appreciation lunch. And if you want to know where I'm going, it's going to be a big steak. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Somebody get a reservation, okay? 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. When you have it, say amen. amen. Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But today we're running for an imperishable crown. Therefore, Paul said, I run this way, not with uncertainty. And I fight, but not as one who boxes or beats against the air. But I discipline my body, and I bring it up under subjection, lest when I have preached to you, I myself should become disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. I want to preach today about the monster of ministry, and I want you to pray for me that the Lord would just give me the grace to articulate what he's put in my heart and what is on his. And that if there is some soul listening today, some preacher of the gospel listening today whose priorities are out of order, may the Lord give grace for a realignment today. And may we all come out of this moment with a great fervor to pray for our leaders, with a greater commitment to pray for those who Hebrews 13, 17 said are over us in the Lord. How many will commit, if nothing else today, to take your prayer life to another level for leaders who are leading the kingdom of God in this hour? If that's true, say amen. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I'm grateful for the call. I'm grateful for the day you put your hand on my heart and you asked me to preach your gospel. I pray today, God, you would make me a faithful minister. I pray today this house would receive the word of the Lord. And my heart is burdened today, Lord, for those who are called into the ministry. And I pray today that something I would say would find entrance into a heart, a heart that is isolated, a heart that feels a million miles away from God, yet they have the responsibility of leading your people and they're trying to figure out how to get back to the place where it first started. I pray today, God, that people would be restored into ministry. And I pray today that you would warn the heart of the arrogant and the proud who are losing their way, all in the name of ministry. Would you get the glory today, Lord Jesus, and may your name be magnified in this house, and may the ministry that you've called people to, I pray, Lord Jesus, you would guard it and keep it and protect it. And I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that your name would be magnified and glorified and that people would come to you today finding their source of life in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. On a day when the leaders of our church and our church itself has set aside to express appreciation and show love to Devin and I and our family, I want to preach a message about the ministry. I suppose the greatest gift that I could give you today is the gift of authenticity and the gift of truth. Because the text before us that I read to you today is the words come through the hand of a 
the writing of a man who had one of the most potent and powerful ministries in the entire Bible. Very few people can claim the ministerial success, achievement, the quality of ministry, the longevity of ministry, the ongoingness of ministry. There's very few people who could claim to be as successful as the Apostle Paul was. He wrote a third of the New Testament. His footsteps carried him to continents and countries. And he ministered the gospel in cities and villages, and preached in open marketplaces, and preached the gospel in synagogues. He was preached when they lauded and celebrated him. He was preached when they threatened to kill him and almost tried and almost succeeded. This is a man who the Bible says was used by God to bring a revelation of grace to the Gentile world, and he himself was a Jew of Jews. At the end of his life, looking back over all that God had done through him and with him, he saw his life as a man who walked through door after door. God opened door after door for him to preach the good news in cities where the good news had not been heard before, in pagan palaces, in places where God was understood in polytheistic ways, poly meaning many. Paul preached in, a, in places where God was all kind of gods to all kinds of people, and yet he preached an uncompromised message that Christ Jesus alone was the Son of God, that there was no other name under heaven given among men whereby people could be saved. Only the name of Jesus. This man Paul was successful in ministry, if I could say that. He had a, a pedigree of ministerial success at the end of his life that we still adore. We still find ourselves following in the footsteps of Paul, attempting to be as faithful as Paul was with the responsibility and the ministry that God had given him. But I want you to hear this successful minister. I want you to pay careful attention to what he says here in the Ninth chapter of the first book of Corinthians to the church at Corinth, children in the faith who he bore by the Spirit of God and would literally feel as if he were their father. That's why he wrote two books to the Corinthians. These were not just church members. These were sons and daughters that he had led to Christ. He actually birthed in them a faith for the Lord Jesus and was concerned about the direction that some of them were following and they were listening to other voices and, and he's, he's preaching to them about this ministry. People all the time say things that sound spiritual but they're not very scripturally accurate. I've heard people say, you don't have a ministry. We don't have a ministry. It's all about Jesus. I would agree it's always about Jesus but let us be clear. Paul spent much of his time in 2 Corinthians defending and proving that Christ had called him to be an apostle to the church at Corinth. And you say, Pastor, why would a man defend himself? Why would a man have to stand up or write to his people and tell them to stop believing other people and to follow him? Can you imagine the pain of a father who birthed people in the spirit and yet they come listening to other Johnny-come-latelys who fly in and come in with shiny shoes and slick hair with a newfangled gospel, and they have forgotten what Paul preached. And Paul is saying, I birthed you. I brought you into the kingdom of God, and now you're listening to these other people who don't even know who Jesus is. And here in the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians, he issues a personal and yet corporate warning 
about the ministry. A man who preached, a man who wrote, a man who prayed, a man who sailed on ships to different continents to minister the gospel of Jesus. He literally met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He saw the light and he heard the voice. According to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he was caught up into the third heaven. Saw things no one had ever seen and was revealed to things that no one else had ever understood. Things that were not lawful to repeat. And that man with that kind of experience says, I got to check myself. I'm called. I've been set apart. I've been anointed for this work, but I've got to check my own life so that I don't preach this glorious gospel to the multitude and one day wake up and find myself disqualified. How is it that a man who saw Jesus could ever find himself disqualified? How is it that a man who heard the voice of the Lord on the road to Damascus ever wake up one morning and find himself disqualified? How is it that a man who knows Christ in a way that boggles my mind, the other 12 walked with Jesus on the shore of Galilee, but not Paul. The Bible tells us Paul spent two years in Arabia and was taught by the Lord Jesus himself this revelation of grace. And that man who knew Christ in that dimension says, I have to subject myself to discipline. I have to keep my heart in check so that I do not preach this gospel and one day find myself disqualified. Pastor, where is this coming from? It's coming from watching preachers who my heart breaks when I see them fall in churches that are reeling in the aftermath of deception and pride. It comes, and you're not going to like this, but it's Pastor Appreciation Day, so I'm just going to tell you this, and you've got to love me on this day if you don't love me on any other day. It comes from knowing my own faults and my own leaning and my own flesh and knowing that if I didn't bring my own life up under submission and accountability and subjection, that even with the noblest intention, the noblest among us can still fall prey to pride and deception. And the moment, this is what I was going to preach to you from the next chapter, the moment you think you stand... The moment you think you've arrived, the moment you think you've got it all conquered, Paul would tell them in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 10, when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. I'm preaching to the preachers today. I'm preaching to people in ministry today. And before I go too much further, I think it might behoove us to explain what ministry is. Everyone say ministry. What is ministry? Before I go too far down this road, I think most of us understand ministry to be highly visible, triumphant, victorious, authoritative, microphone-grabbing, scripture-quoting, Bible-pounding, glitz, glamour, high-profile kind of thing. 
makes our adrenaline rush, makes the crowd rush in. But when the Bible talks about ministry, it's not the glitz and the glamour. It's not the titles and all of the apostles and the bishops. Oh, no. When the Bible talks about ministry, the Greek word for ministry is the noun. Where did it go? (laughs) Diakonia. Diakonia. You know what it means? To be at one's service. When we preach ministry, we talk about ministry in the ways of the triumphant and the glitz and the glamour and the stage and all that is associated with modern Western ministry. But when the Bible talks about ministry, it's not a person who comes to Jesus with his or her list and their hand held out for things and their attention-grabbing charisma. It's not about that. When you come to ministry in the New Testament, it's about what do you want me to do, Lord? The ministry God gives you is not you informing God how you'll do it. It's not you telling the Lord what you want to do. The ministry that the New Testament teaches is the kind of thing where you have a will, but because his will is greater than your will, you as a servant of the Lord allow your will to be swallowed up by the will of Christ so that you don't even have a say anymore. Not getting any help from the preachers. But preachers, we don't have a say because we did not call ourselves. He called us with an eternal, everlasting grace. He put his hand on us for a specific purpose. And our life will never be fulfilled as long as we're living it on our terms. I want to tell you preachers this right now. I cannot tell you this because I heard it was a good thought. I tell you this because it's how we lived our life. And I say to God, be the glory. Because everything within me fought against it when we did it, but it's exactly how we did it when we were called to be the pastors of this church 19 years ago. I never shall forget, Devin was pregnant with Isaiah. He was eight months, she was eight months pregnant with him in the womb. Jeremiah was just a little over a year old. I was 22 years old. I was laying in my bed one night. I got home from a baptism service, and I got a call from my bishop at that time, and he said, I ran your name at a church. You got 100% of the vote, and you start Wednesday night. I was an associate pastor at a church that we were loving. It was up in Athens, Tennessee. We were living our best life now. I remember rolling over. Devin was asleep in her pregnant self. I saw her in the bed with her pregnancy. I said, oh, how am I going to tell my wife? that the bishop has appointed us as a pastor. And this is the question I ask, Lord, is it your will? Lord, is it your will? And I heard the Lord say, this is my will for your life. Didn't say it would be for the rest of my life. Didn't say, it's, he said, this is my will for you right now. The next morning, I woke up and drove to Ottawa. Never been on the property a day in my life. Drove out there and saw what, what the building was, the property was. There were 30 people then. There's about seven or eight of y'all who are still left 
from that original 30 people, and I thank God for every one of you. I wouldn't be here without any of you. Hallelujah. The first question I ask was not, I'm getting this off my chest for some people in this room and for some preachers who have their priorities all out of order. The first question was not, what is the package? Got quiet. Got quiet. Got quiet. Oh, why are we giving him an offering? Don't worry about it. You don't want to give. You don't have to give. There's never any pressure. But I want to tell you this. We never started out for an offering. The first Sunday we preached, I didn't even think I was getting a check to preach this gospel. I'd already filled out an application at the nearby Bilo and made up my mind if I got to bag groceries and push carts, I'll preach the gospel and take care of my family and God will provide. That's how we operated. I didn't walk in and say, what's the package? What's my 401K? How are you going to take care of me and my wife? I asked the Lord, where do you want me to go? And the Lord said, that's where I want you to be. And I need to testify this morning that he took care of every one of my needs. He never let us go hungry. And we... I once was young and now I'm getting older. Never have the Wallaces been forsaken or their seed begging for bread. My God. You might want to come back, Julian. Maybe not. I don't know here. Ministry is serving. Ministry is serving. The most important component of being called into the ministry is that you do what Paul did when he met Jesus on Damascus Road. Paul's on, a, Paul's on a beast heading to persecute the church. He sees a light. He's smitten to the ground. He's looking up at a light. Here's a voice. And he looks at the Lord, and here's what a real ministry looks like. Laying in the dirt. Dirt all over his face. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do with my life? If you can't ask the Lord what he wants you to do, and if you have your list of what successful ministry looks like, you are doomed before your boat leaves the harbor. You need to make an adjustment today in your ministry. The question is not, will the people there take care of you? The question is, is this the will of the Father for my life? If I'm in the will of the Father, people I go minister to may not even like me. But if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything I need will be taken care of. I've told you the story before about Jeremiah who had kidney stones and had, he had an appetite for the most expensive formula you can put in your kitchen. What was it called, Devin? Nutramogen. I've told this so many times, people who don't even know me know the answer to that. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Nutramogen. I, I wanted to frame it. It was so expensive. I, I rationed it out. It called for six scoops. I said, let's give him four. He'll make it. <laughs> Shake that can. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, multiply it. <laughs> That's how expensive it was. 
And I'll never forget, living on wick. Living on wick. Went to the store and got cheese and milk with wick coupons. I came home one day and it was tithing time. I said, Deb, we gotta pay the tithes. She said, great, pay the tithes. Well, if we pay the tithes, Deb, we're not gonna be able to have new tramaging money. But we're gonna pay the tithes. Some of y'all can't handle this. So we paid our tithes. And we woke up one morning and went to the front door. And on my front door was a pallet. You hear what I'm telling you? A pallet, it looked like it came down with a parachute on it. A pallet on the front porch of New Tramogen. Case after case after case. Can after can, oh my God. I learned a long time ago, my source is not a church. My source is not even you. My help cometh from the law. If you'll trust him, he'll pay your bills. If you'll trust him, he'll make you the head and not the tail. If you'll trust God. Sit down. Ministry. Ministry is not what I want to do. Ministry is what do you want me to do, Lord? In fact, I wrote this note down here today. Because most understand ministry to be this highly visible glitz and glamour kind of thing. Ministry is, Lord, I'm at your service and I want to do what you want me to do and I'll do anything you tell me to do. And if you are entertaining the thought of going into full-time ministry, if you can do anything else on this planet and please God, do it. Well, you sound like you're trying to discourage people from going into the ministry. I am. Because if you don't have the grace for this, you will buckle, you will break, you will lose your joy, you will roll and grovel, and there are times when your wife will have to come in there and say, get out of the bed, get your joy back. See, some people don't understand that because they think this is a, I've had people look at me with a straight face and say, boy, I wish I had your job. Work one day a week. We wipe the sweat out of my eyes before I fix them. Hold on. The ministry is not a day. Ministry is not a week. There is not a second of our life that we get to say, we're not in ministry. <laughs> It goes with you everywhere. You wake up with it, you go back to bed and you still have it. And in your dreams, you wrestle with it. And when you wake up from yours, I'm talking to people today. This is not some weird thing where I'm trying to counsel myself in the midst of a message. I'm trying to tell people who are actually entertaining the thought of doing this in their own strength, get a clue. You don't want to do this in your own strength. You can't do this in your own strength. The only one who can do this is a man or a woman who has been given the grace from Almighty God to do this thing because if this were up to me I promise you this in my frailty in my weakness I would have been done a long time ago I can't carry these things on my own
I mean that sincerely, and I'm, tell, I'm talking to young people. I'm talking to middle-aged people. And let, me, let me get this, let me get this, let me say it like this too. It's very important you understand this. Every one of us are called into ministry. So let's establish this. What I'm talking about is not the ministry we're all called to because I can take you to the book of Corinthians and tell you that Paul says we all have the gift of, pardon me, the, the ministry of reconciliation. Every one of us, we all have the responsibility of being salt that can be tasted, light that can be seen, lost humanity being reconciled back to God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is all of our calling. Amen? What I'm talking about today is Ephesians 4. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Whose life responsibility is the care, the edification the salvation, the strengthening, the evangelization of the world and the care of the church. Who don't get a choice on what they want to do in life. Paul said, I bring myself up under subjection to that, to the ministry. What the Lord called you to do, minister, You cannot be happy, fulfilled, or have peace until you say yes to that calling. And here's what I want to tell you about ministry. I've never seen it start bad, but I've seen it turn bad. And I've seen it end worse. And what Paul is telling us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is that it is not how you start that men and women will remember you. It is not how you start that heaven will remember you. It is how you end. Something can happen in this thing called ministry. A turn can happen. A shift can occur. And the ministry can go from being full of joy and bliss to being a monster. That's right. Ministry can become a monster. How does ministry become a monster? I just wrote down a couple things. I'm going to give you these and I'm going to go have... Pastor Appreciation Lunch. (laughs) Ministry becomes a monster when you begin to entertain misplaced priorities. You do not first and foremost serve people. I'm going to, I'm going to I'm going to say that to the ministers and then I'm going to say that to this house so that you understand the proper priority of a minister. I am not called first and foremost to serve you. I am called first and foremost to serve God. Well, why should he have to say that? Because Western church has transformed our understanding of ministry. And now we think people who are called by God can be hired by the church. 
and men become and women become nothing more than hirelings and hirelings are only there for a check and you're only paying them to control them. The greatest gift God ever gave me and Devin in this house were people who are generous in their time, talent, and treasure with no agenda. You mean that's the only kind of people you've ever pastored? Oh, no, that's the only people that God allowed to stay. There have been plenty of people who've come along. I, can I tell you how many times, I, I'm just going to say it all today. It's pastor appreciation. I could do this one time in my whole life. Never before and maybe never after this will I ever preach this kind of message. But since we're here, let's have it. Here we go. Do you know how many people have walked up to me and handed me a check of their tithe and they wanted me to know their name was on the check and how much they gave so that I could treat them appropriately? Can I tell you right now, those people didn't stay because those people are no more important to a true shepherd than the lost sheep that can't find his way home who needs the gospel on Sunday more than they've got to stand up and maintenance people who need to feel extra special because they're really insecure. I want to tell you today that proper priorities will give you sustained joy in the ministry. You don't first and foremost serve people. Here's what we've turned ministry into. Walk out on the stage and do your thing so the people can be served. And my question is, have you ministered to God at all? There was a group of priests in the Old Testament. They were from the tribe of Zadok. They were in the Levite priesthood but they were given a privilege and a responsibility that no other Levite was given, and it was this, that they would come before the Lord and serve the Lord and honor God before they did anything for the people. They actually stood face to face with the Lord and ministered unto God. And there were all these other priests who were outside making sure all the people were happy, but the tribe of Zadok stood before the Lord and they honored him. And my concern is that we're turning pulpits into pressurized places where people stand up every Sunday and they try to preach under the anointing, but they can't tap into the anointing because they see the looks and they feel the disgust and the disgrace and they got people out there that are lying on them. Yeah, take it. Gossiping on them, posting about them, and they're trying to preach the gospel knowing that they're preaching to people that don't even want to follow their leadership and many are, they're losing their ministry, they're walking away from the church and there are people sitting in the congregation watching preachers in these pressurized places and the pre preachers can't survive in it. Can't survive under that. That's why Ezekiel, God told Ezekiel, I'm going to call you into a ministry and tell you before I start that when they look at you crazy, you set your face like a flint and don't you flinch, don't you shed a tear and don't even let them know they're getting under your skin. You just prophesy when I tell you to prophesy. 
There's some young preachers listening to me in this room, and you're online right now, and you say, Pastor, what do you do when they don't like you? I'm going to tell you what you do. You go pray another 30 minutes. Don't get bitter and hard-hearted. Don't ever attack them from the pulpit. Preach the kingdom. Prophesy the word of the Lord. Set your face like a flint. Make up your mind if God is pleased. What does it matter about what people have to say about me? God, I feel like preaching in here today. If you minister according to the crowd, you will lose your conviction, you will lose the anointing, you'll become nothing more than a puppet that tries to please people. But if you get a prayer life and a Bible life, I tell you, he'll fill you up to overflowing and the hungry will hear about it and the hungry will come and they will outnumber the religious Pharisees that you're dealing with. And before you know it, the momentum is going to shift and the glory is going to come in and God is going to breathe life into your cells. Somebody help me or something in here. Boy, I can tell this is feeling better for me than some of y'all are receiving it. Hallelujah. Preacher, look at Galatians 6, 17. This is Paul near the end of his life. He's been dealing with Judaizers and false teachers. He birthed the Galatian church in the spirit. They're his children. And yet, although he labored with them, wept over them, prayed over them, preached to them, give them truth. They started listening to the Judaizers. And they allowed the Judaizers to come in and have a debate. And Paul is, like any of us in Paul's shoes, we would be saying, what are you doing? Do you not see this? These people are deceivers. Where have they been all of your Christian journey? And they show up at the last minute with their newfangled gospel and you're following them and now you're in need of being born all over again. And at the end of Galatians, the sixth chapter, the last verse, I believe, you know what Paul says? From now on, I'm not letting any of you cause me trouble. For I bear in my body the scars of my Lord. I don't have trophies, Paul said. I don't prance around with banners and awards and certificates of I've achieved and I've arrived. I don't have rings of world championships on my finger. You want to know what I have to validate the call of God on my life, Paul said? I'll take my shirt off and show you the scars. We want a scarless ministry. We want a scarless ministry. We want to have the kind of ministry where everybody celebrates us, everybody lauds us, everybody likes us. I'll get to that in a minute. Paul said, you want to know why I'm, I'm validated to be your apostle? Look at the scars. They beat me within one stripe three times of my life. Three times in my life I was within one stripe of being totally emaciated and tortured 
by the Jewish people. And he said all, he, watch this. He said, and from, for the rest of my life, you ain't getting under my fingernails anymore. I ain't about to let you bother me. What he was saying is, I've been through too much hell. He saved me from too much stuff. And I know how good God's been. And the crazy people in Galatia will not rob my joy. Well, hallelujah. Can I just tell you this morning that the crazy people in Chattanooga will not steal my joy. You can't bother me. I've been through too much. You caught me in my 20s, you could have taught me out of this. You caught me in my 30s, you might have made me second guess. I'm 42 going on 43, and I want to tell you I've seen too much, been through too much, heard too much, saw too much for someone to come in and say, well, Brother Wallace, there's a, there's a new thing happening. I heard this a couple of weeks ago. There's a new thing going on in the church, and, and we don't need church anymore. We don't need that anymore. This is all going to move to the house. Zoom in and hear me real quick. That's coming from somebody who was not an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher who was trying to build their own ministry in their own name. And you need to say, wait a minute, I'm not going down that road. And y'all don't have to like this. I'm just telling you what's happening in our generation. There is an attack on what God has sanctioned and put in order. And people have found it very, very casual to put their mouth on the hand of God and the move of God and the thing that God has set and ordained. And if you're watching me from another church and you can bash your pastor and throw him under the bus and show up on Sunday and smile at his face and then criticize him behind his back, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You need to humble yourself. You need to repent. You need to tell him you're sorry. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Get the malice out of your soul and follow God. Sit down. Sit down. We are in the midst of an, an attempted hostile takeover. And, the, and Paul called them super apostles. That's what he called them in the Greek. Super apostles who come in with a new message and cause you to disconnect from the faith that was once delivered to you. You better be careful. Paul even said, if they show up preaching a different message, all in the name of Jesus, of course, because they're not ignorant enough to preach in Buddha's name, and they're not dumb enough to think you'd follow somebody preaching in another God's name, so they gotta put his name on it so that you at least feel Christian about it. The problem is there ain't no Christ in it at all. Pastor, where's this coming from? I'm telling you that you better hear me. We are living in a moment. There is a hot, I'm not talking about here. I'm preaching to the world right now. There is a hostile takeover attempt where people are trying to disrupt the very flow of the kingdom. And you just got to guard your heart. And you listen, preacher, here's the point. Keep your priorities in order here. Preacher, don't get in the flesh to fight what others are doing in the flesh. Because you don't have any guarantee of victory when you take matters into your own hand. But we wrestle not 
against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Five more minutes, y'all can endure it. Come on. Spiritual wickedness in high places. You are not fighting personalities. You are fighting principalities. Because principalities need personalities to manifest through. And Paul says at the end of the book of Galatians, in fact, he was rounding the corner on his ministry period. He said, nobody's bothering me anymore. It didn't mean that they weren't going to try. It meant he decided, I ain't letting you bother me no more. Young man, young lady, old man, old lady, stop letting carnal people bother you. You can't be successful in ministry if you get distracted by every person that comes along to try to bother you. You know what that word bother is in the Greek? It just means like a little adjutant. Just a little adjutant. Isn't it amazing how the enemy will take one little grain of sand and it just wears you out? Pastor Richie calls them ankle bites. One little gnat, one little mosquito, and here's the thing about it. One starts swirling, and here's what the one little mosquito will say. Everybody. I heard. Everybody's mad. How do you know everybody? Ready? Here's another one. They told me. Well, let's go to coffee and talk about they. Who in the, never mind, who is they? Who is they? Where is they coming from? Here's what I want to tell most of you who panic about all of them and they. Most of the time, it's not they. And most of the time, it's not everybody. Most of the time, the coward reporting to you feels insecure in what they're saying and borrow the imaginary credibility of everybody else to make you feel like everybody's mad. When in reality, preacher, they're not all mad. It's just the one talking to you. So you know what? Let me just make sure y'all understand this. And the staff will tell you this. I don't handle this. I do not handle when people come to me and say, everybody's upset. Am I telling the truth? You know what I say? The first thing I say, write down who's upset. I need to go to them personally. It's a short list. It's always short. When it comes to you, Give me the list and I'll go take care of it. Because most of the time, family, you stay up at night and I stayed up at night rolling in the floor about everybody. And then you come back to church and people say, Pastor, that was the greatest message I ever heard. Really? I thought I made you mad because Sister Sally and Brother Bobo told me everybody was mad. I'm almost done. Sit down. Ministry can become a monster when you and I forget the most important thing we do 
is minister unto the Lord. I never forget when we broke 200 people. We broke 200 people. I used to go to every ball game, every birthday party. I went to, Devin and I went to everything, dragging kids around. Oh, praise the Lord. We hope you love us. Praise God. Like us more. We're coming to everything, so you'll like us, like us. No time for prayer. No time for the word. But everybody liked me. And after so long of those misplaced priorities, you start ministering on fumes. You don't have any oil or any fuel in the tank, and sooner or later that'll catch up with you. Keep your priorities. Minister to Jesus. Yes, I'm called to serve you, and I give my life to serve this house. And preacher, you're called to serve your people, but the most important thing you serve is not the crowd. It's the king. Number two, I'm I'm done. Ministry becomes a monster when we entertain misplaced priorities. And let me say this to the preachers, and I'm moving on real quick because I got it right here to say. Your family, your family is your ministry field. If you win the whole city and your kids hate God, you did not do what you were supposed to do. Number two. When the carnal crowd becomes more significant than the one searching soul, you've made ministry a monster. Think of that. When the big crowd becomes more significant than the searching one soul. Preachers, when you won't preach to the one, or minister to the one. In fact, when you won't minister at all unless it's a big crowd, you've turned this thing into a monster. I'll never forget, I was 17 years old, and Daddy went with me. I preached a revival. Wasn't too far away from here, in fact. I won't call where, because they might still be having church there. (laughs) And we went and preached. I preached on adultery. And there were three people in the room. I knew me and daddy were living right. I don't know how it turned out for the other brother. (laughs) Back then I was so ignorant I didn't even question myself. I got the word of the Lord. Preach the word and preach it to the multitudes and preach it to the one. If you won't go fight the lion and the bear for the one, you're not qualified to lead the nation as the king. I don't have time to do this last one justice, but let me just throw it out for you to chew on. Julian, I'm going to transition right here, and I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're going to be done. But when you allow people to promote you prematurely, 
ministry becomes a monster. I want to tell you this about ministry. Hide and be unknown all you can. There's a scripture over, I believe it's in the Gospel of St. Luke. It said, John the Baptist was hidden in the wilderness till his day of manifestation. Do you know he preached a long time before anybody heard him? He preached a long time before anybody followed him. And the day would come when notoriety would find him. People would know who he was. But you don't see John running to be found. In fact, you don't see Jesus running to be found. When the crowd turned up the search and wanted to find him, you know what he did? He went away and hid with the Father. Very different than a man named Saul in the Old Testament. Israel wanted a king. Well, you have one, Israel. His name is Yahweh. Yeah, but we want a king like everybody else's king. Samuel saw this not as an attack against his prophethood. He saw it as an attack against the ruling, sovereign heart of God the Father. Israel didn't want God to be king. They wanted their own king. So watch this. They, in their own lust, promoted another man prematurely. And he was promoted, according to 1 Samuel chapter 8, he was promoted, and 1 Samuel chapter 9, you'll find the whole story there. He was promoted because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. That always made me insecure about being tall. Why couldn't have been a short man? But he was head and shoulders above the rest. I'm kidding, y'all smile. He was head and shoulders above the rest. He was promoted because he looked like he was ready. But he had not been processed and developed. If God's going to use you greatly, preacher, you're going to be wounded deeply. He will touch your hip. Yes, he'll bless you, but he'll touch your hip, pull it out of socket, and you will limp for the rest of your life. And the only way you'll make the journey is to lean on Jesus. And I'm too, I'm too concerned about where I see this thing going for so many. I'm too concerned about it for my own life. That I don't have to stop sometimes and say, Wallace, you can't do that. Wallace, submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. You talk to yourself like that, preacher, you'll get in trouble if you don't. Mason, hear me. RSM, hear me. Doors are going to open. God's going to use you. Mike Laney's going to use you. He's already using you. Livia, he's going to use you. 
He's going to create great opportunities for you, Jared. One day they'll be patting you all on the back. You're the best. The next day they'll pick up daggers. When you turn yourself around to walk, they'll stab you. You just stay in love with Jesus. You just stay in love with him. You keep your eyes on that one soul. Make it about that one. Before any of this was ever entrusted into our hands, I was telling somebody, I think I was telling you, I don't remember who I was telling, just two days ago, I was telling this story. 30 people, Devin, eight months pregnant, walk out there, waddle. She didn't walk, she waddled. Waddle out there and get a microphone, start singing praise and worship. I played the drums. Run off the drums, go take the offering. Come back and play the drums for the offertory, then get up and preach. And had the time of my life. We're making ministry something God never made it to be. It ain't my career. It's a calling. If I could do something else, I would have done something else. Not because I'm not happy, but because there have been times where the pressure and the pain and the fear send you down to your knees. Paul said, I fight fears within and battles without. I know what he's talking about. I think we survived most church bosses, but there's still a few every now and then that rise up and they want to insert their theology. If you hear somebody in this house connected to this church teaching you something that don't sound right, it probably ain't. And if you're concerned about it, call me. Call the office. Let a pastor help you. Don't let a false teacher pull you away. You say, does this happen in our church with 2,500 people? You bet it does. People I pastored for 10 years, a couple years ago, I pastored them their whole life, led them to the Lord and baptized them. And he come into my office and rebuked me in my office. And I slammed my hand down. Pardon me. Not today. Oh, no. No, I can take it on some days, but not today. You say, Pastor, how does that happen? It happens because we... We live in a day, too, not only are we making ministry something that's not, we have no understanding of discipline in the church anymore. So don't quit, preacher. And don't let them turn your ministry into a monster that tries to kill you. Keep your smile. Keep your joy. You know what? If nobody likes this message today, can I tell you what I'm going to do after this church? I'm going to eat a steak. Wait, hold on. Let me tell you what else I'm going to do. I'm going to take that eight-week-old baby boy and put him on my right hip. And I'm going to sit Genesis on my left hip. 
I'm going to go to my office before church tonight, and I'm going to play Joseph Garlington, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. And Genesis is going to throw her hands up in my office, and she's going to say, "Woo!" like she does every time I play. We're going to have the time of our life today, and I'm not going to let anybody bother me. Stand. Play, Julian. Can we lift our hands and thank God for Jesus? Come on. If you love him, can you tell him thank you? If you love him, can you tell him thank you? We're leaving in a minute, but if you're grateful that he saved you, can you tell him thank you? And if you're called into the ministry, can you throw up your hands right now wherever you are all over this room? If you're called into the ministry, throw your hands up. If there's somebody near you with their hand up right now, would you reach over and lay your hand on them? Father, I just pray for the people in this house this morning who feel the call into ministry. Oh God, don't let ministry become a monster. It's never about the crowd. It's always about the king. I pray today in the name of Jesus we'll not get our priorities all mixed up and we won't live for the acclaim and the laudation and the approval of people. God, let us live for the audience of one. Teach us, oh God, today. Teach us how to keep joy in this journey. Teach us how to keep our focus on the author and the finisher of our faith. I pray for our young ladies and our young men. They will not start out in ministry with this unhealthy desire for the approval of people. Pray all over the church right now for your preachers. Come on, pray all over the church for your pastors. Pray all over the church for leaders. Come on. Holy Ghost, don't let us become so deceived and distracted. Don't don't let us, don't let us get so bothered so easily. God, give us a focus and a tenacity. There's an assignment on their life. There's an assignment for us to accomplish. And you called us and you will finish what you started when you called us. I praise you for it. I bless this house. I bless it to be a place that honors the the pastors who it raises up and sends out. I pray it to be a place that honors visiting ministers when they come in. If you receive this, lift your hands. I pray it to be a house that honors the ministers and pastors already on its staff. May it be a house of honor. I pray that gossip and backbiting and dissension and lies and the mess that they tell in the name of the Lord, I pray they'll get it under the blood. In the name of Jesus. And I thank you from this day forward, Father God, that as we are able by your grace to raise up and release ministers, Thank you, Lord, they're going to have a focus. Give us, if you don't give us anything else, give us the grace to raise up and release preachers who know their assignment. And as we send them, may they go in the power of the Holy Ghost. In the mighty name of Jesus. If you love the Lord, say amen. Come on, let's give God praise all over the building. Come here, Mason. Everybody in RSM that's called into the ministry, come here, hurry. Any young man or young lady from the university called into the ministry, get up here right now. 
I'm talking about worship ministry. I'm talking about preaching. I'm talking, you feel called into full-time ministry. Come stand in this altar right now. If you got to go, I love you. Get your babies. Get back tonight at 6. We don't want to hold you longer than you need to stay. I love everybody. I'll see you tonight. But if you, if you know the call of God is on your life, I want to pray for you before we go today. I heard an old, old story. Throw your hands up and let's worship him a minute. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save the wretch like me. I heard about his groaning. I want all my pastors to come down here with me. Of his precious blood's atoning. I want y'all to help me pray. And I repented of my sin. And I won the victory. Come on, lift your hands if you know there's victory. Sing there's victory in Jesus my Savior forever. He sought me. Bless every one of them today. Come on, pray for the leaders. Pray for these men and women of God who are ministers in making. They already are, but they're already becoming. Come on, we bless them. He loved me. Yeah. I knew him. I pray, Papa Shapandala soul. Come on, I need if you're gonna stay with me, just pray. Just stretch your hands toward them right now. Come on. God give them grace today. Put a steel backbone and a real soft heart in him right now, God. A steel backbone and a soft heart. Lord, tender on the inside. Face like a flint on the outside. How oh, fire of the Holy Ghost. Come here, evangelist. Come here. Come here. Come here, evangelist. Oh, God, give Carol thousands and thousands. But I thank you that the thousands are unlocked by his call to the one. Oh, come here, Olivia. Satabadu Bakapra. Mobadati Shekandalaba. Oh, God, give her vision. God, give her insight. Give her revelation. Give her keys to open doors that have been historically locked up. Let them come open in the name of the Lord. Come on, pray. Come on, pray. Protect them. Keep them. Don't let them fall. I pray, God, if they do fall, you'll surround them with people that help them get up. Oh, God, teach us to discipline and bring ourselves up under subjection so that when we preach to others one day, we don't find ourselves disqualified. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit. Oh, somebody pray. Come on, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, pray in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, Jerry, lay your hand on that man right there. Oh, thank you. Justin, pray for Samuel right there. I thank you, God, for what you're going to do in this man's life. I pray right now, God, you put a hook in his jaw. He didn't come to tell you what he wants to do. Today, I thank you, God, you're going to reveal to him what you want him to do. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Basanta. Lift your hands, Paul. In the mighty name of Jesus.
God, make them a strong weapon in your hand. I pray in the name of the Lord that you will take every gift you've given him and you will sharpen it and fill it with oil. I pray that this vessel would be sanctified, set apart, meet for the master's use. Use him for thy glory, O oh God. Use him for your glory, O oh God. Mason, throw your hands up high. Nations and cities. How? Nations and cities. Put it inside of him, Lord. Put it inside of him, Lord. Put it inside of him, God. Put them a whole shire. Touch one. Touch one. Touch him in the name of the Lord. In the Nabaki of the Messiah. I pray grace on Jessica. Young lady, 10 years ago, if you could have seen what you will be doing in three years, you would have said it cannot be so. But I say that the Lord has put his hand on your life and that doors are now opening. But the Spirit of God told me to tell you, you are prepared and you have been set apart for this purpose. And the Lord said, I'm going to accelerate it because I trust you. And the Lord says, your posture and your, humi your humility has allowed heaven to crown you with this opportunity. And the Lord said, run, run and be swift and share the message. I believe this message today is speaking life and hope to you in your journey. We wouldn't be bringing it to you today had it not been for faithful partners around this nation who are helping us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to leave us a prayer request, I want you to go to kevinwallace.tv. Let us know how our team can pray for you. You'll also find a place there where you can learn more about partnership, how you and your family can help us continue to spread this good news of Jesus around this nation and around this world. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next week, God bless you. We're praying over you and your family today.